New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. What is the difference between having empathy and being an empath? Today we'll be exploring the blessings and challenges of being an empath. Sensitive people have much to be grateful for. They are able to experience exquisite passion and joy. They can perceive the big picture on a deep level. They're attuned to the beauty, poetry, and energy of life. And their compassion gives them the capacity to help others. Their sensitivities allow them to be caring, vulnerable, and aware beings. They also need to take special care to protect themselves from overload or absorbing too much negativity and stress from others. They need to protect themselves from adrenal fatigue and energy vampires. Today we'll be exploring the gifts of being an empath as well as the strategies for protection and well-being with our guest, Dr. Judith Orloff. Dr. Judith Orloff is a psychiatrist in private practice in Los Angeles and is on the psychiatric clinical faculty at UCLA. She specializes in treating highly sensitive people and empaths. Dr. Orloff, an empath herself, synthesizes the pearls of conventional medical wisdom with cutting-edge knowledge of intuition, spirituality, and energy medicine. She's the author of Emotional Freedom, Liberate Yourself from Negative Emotions and Transform Your Life. Second Sight, an intuitive psychiatrist, tells her extraordinary story and shows you how to tap your own inner wisdom. And The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. Join us for the next hour as we explore the resources available for sensitive souls with our guest, Dr. Judith Orloff. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Judith, welcome. Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you, Justine. It's so good to have you sitting here once more. I always love being with you. And I would like to begin just asking you the very simple question, or maybe not so simple. What is an empath? An empath is somebody who's very high up on the empathy spectrum. And it's somebody who's 
empathic and caring and loving and sensitive and intuitive. But as an empath myself and treating many empaths, I know that we tend to absorb the energy, the emotions, and physical symptoms of others into our own bodies because we're so porous. Empaths don't have the same neurological wiring that other people do. And so we tend to absorb things and take on the world's angst. So my goal in writing this book is to give people strategies on how to keep your empathy open and alive and growing while still protecting yourself and learning how to set very clear boundaries with others who might snatch it out of it, who might snatch it from you. So tell me, Judith, can we train ourselves to be an empath, or is it something that we're born with? It's innate. Well, some empaths are born that way. Some babies come out empathic compared to other babies. Um, But empathy can be trained. And people who are on the spiritual path and on the intuitive path, what they say to me is that their empathy and that their ability to tune in intuitively keeps growing as they mature on their spiritual path. So is there a difference between highly sensitive people, or HSP as it's called, and those who are empaths. Is there a difference between those two groups? Um, There's some commonalities and some differences. Um, Empaths are the highest up on the empathic spectrum. They're the most sensitive, and they tend to have very strong intuitive experiences. They're dream empaths, they're animal empaths, they're plant empaths, they're telepathic empaths. And really, these empaths can communicate with other realms sometimes. But HSPs are more associated with all the sensory phenomena, such as sensitivity to light, sound, excessive talking. Um, They require a lot of alone time to refuel versus people time. Um, They don't like going out into crowds as much prefer one-to-one interactions. Those are things that empaths and HSPs have in common. I see. So they they do have a commonality, but yeah. there's also something else. There's some piece that that empaths are have access to beyond just being a sensitive person. Yes, the, their sensory system um, is more sensitive than, let's say, an HSPs on the intuitive level because it can stretch into different realms and it can sense and know things from people um, telepathically, precognitively, um, with animals. Many empaths are animal empaths, as I write about, where you can actually have communications with animals and know their needs and be able to shepherd them and care for them. I just was uh, having a session with a empath patient who is a dairy farmer and she has 400 cows in her herd and the positive is she loves all of them so much and the negative is she feels when each one of them gets ill and she has to take care of them so her task is to learn how to center and protect her energy and not go down every time one of her cows gets sick wow yes yeah yeah very practical implications very much so going back into your own personal experience, you had these skill. you came in as an empath, I, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. And so as a child, I know that you've written about this, that your parents really wanted you to be happy and safe, and 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 you were very sensitive, and, and they would say, well, develop a thick skin, or right, they would give you right. advice that, that 
what was that like? Oh, it felt terrible. I, I felt so unseen. I was an only child. I felt alone. I felt lonely. I was having these strong, intuitive, empathic experiences that I couldn't explain. So I was blaming myself for them. And finally, my parents just said, never mention another one of your experiences again at home. So I grew up having to be silent, having to squash these incredible sensations and sense of empathy and being able to read people and not be able to develop it and hold it in. And so so I got very heavily involved with drugs at that point in time, which I'm not recommending for anyone, to try and squash my empathic feelings because they were way too much for me. And I had no guidance to help me at the time. So I remember one thing that you have written about is that early on, you had a precognitive dream about your grandfather. And what was that? Right. This is a mediumship empath where I had a dream that my grandfather came to me to say goodbye and tell me that he loved me. And the next morning we got a call that he suddenly died without any warning. And so what empaths can do sometimes is they have a sensitivity to reach beyond the veil and sense what's going on on the other side. And children often have this. As a psychiatrist, children come in to see me to deal with this. Parents bring their children in and say, what do we do with this? And it's very natural skill for an empath, and so it has to be dealt with in a very sensitive way. But as a child, I had that. I had no support. That's why I feel so strongly at this point about offering a network of support for empaths so we don't have to do it alone. It's not something you can really do alone. You really need to have the guidance of those that have come before you who have learned the strategies that could help you. Exactly. And I think that when you had that dream, you woke up and told your parents. Right. And they said, oh, no, it's just a nightmare. They, right. They denied it. They just, they poo-pooed it. They did poo-poo until, it. Until the next morning. Right. And it happened. And then what was their response at that point? Oh, just horrible looks. I remember their eyes and just, you know, such, you know, befuddlement. And you felt like you caused his death then because you didn't have any support system. Yeah, I had no idea what happened, but where I went and myself was, oh my God, am I the bad seed? Am I like Carrie on TV, which was a popular TV show back then, you know, about an evil girl who has all these psychic abilities. Am I like Carrie? What's going on? And I had nobody to talk to. I can't tell you what a powerful influence that has had on my healing path terms of now being able to reach out to people and also having a strong passion to offer empaths a network to interact with one another. And and when you um, finally found, you were coming off of using drugs and addiction and that sort of way of, of just numbing yourself, you found a really good friend. It was fortunate that, that the, the psychiatrist that right. your parents sent you to when they were worried about you, that that he, I think it was a male, uh, understood what was going on with you. This man was my angel. He was able to look at me and say, you're having these intuitive, empathic experiences. You have to come to grips with them. We have to talk about them. We have to deal with all your fears for you to become whole. And running from these is one part of your addictive tendency. So we have to really deal with it. But I want to say that in the book, I talk about empaths and addiction. And many empaths are prone to addiction, food addiction, substance abuse, because the world is too much for them. And when they haven't learned to modulate their sensitivities, they want to numb them. 
and often turn to food and alcohol. I know that you mentioned that empaths and highly sensitive people, they need a lot of alone time. Well, yes. coming up <laughs> in our society, let's say uh, as a high school student or something, then it, it must just be impossible for them. They want to be part of the group, and yet they need some, they have other needs. They have other needs. They empaths have special needs, and so it's important to have education for empathic teenagers, empathic children. There's a chapter in the book on empathic parenting. How do you have children, or should you have children, if you're an empath? I mean, there's enough stress for people who aren't empaths. How do wide-open empaths with no insulation on their neurological system deal with children? It's totally possible, but you have to learn the skills that we'll talk about in I Present. Yes, exactly, exactly. This is, oh, and and educators to have educators who understand that the different needs that nobody fits like this one mold, and and if these kids come in that they have, you have to be sensitive. As an educator, it would be ideal to be sensitive to their needs. When a parent brings a child in my office for a psychiatric consult and the child is saying, I'm feeling so overwhelmed, I can't center myself, I, I just feel so anxious, um, what makes you feel better when I'm alone and when I'm with my imaginary friend? And, you know, of course I would say, yes, really, yeah. tell me about that. Instead of what? Imaginary friend and prescribe some kind of antipsychotic for an imaginary friend. Exactly. We'll talk about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff. She's a psychiatrist, and she's the author of The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And if you want to know more about her work, she has a free empath support newsletter, and you can find it on her website, drjudithorloff.com. And she spells it Dr. D-R Judith Orloff, O-R-L-O-F-F.com, drjudithorloff.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff. She's a psychiatrist and the author of The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And Judith, you just said like when, let's say, a child comes in or even an adult comes in and they're having symptoms, your training, let's say, as a doctor is okay to give them medication, to right. give them, you know, I don't know what, Valium or I don't, I don't know what what the pills are these days, but 
to just sort of medicate them. But you, you maybe would use that, but, but you also do something else. Yes, when empaths come to see me in my private practice, I evaluate them in totally differently. First, you have to diagnose whether someone is an empath, and they take a quiz. Now, do you rejuvenate yourself alone? One of the questions, are you sensitive to noise, smells, and excessive talking? Um, do you prefer um, your alone time to being with lots of people? And have you been labeled as, quote, overly sensitive all of your life? Now, do you prefer to take your own car places so that you can leave social situations when you please so you're not trapped? Do you prefer sometimes sleeping alone? You know, all these questions are really important for empaths to answer. And do I get drained by narcissists and other energy vampires? No, and do I have anxiety attacks when I get around too many people? So these are all signs that someone is an empath. So diagnostically, as a psychiatrist, I go, okay, you're an empath. So we can deal with it from this perspective. But from my training, I was trained at UCLA at the Neuropsychiatric Institute. I was trained in biological psychiatry, which meant I gave out medications to people who had extreme anxiety attacks. I never took a history on are you an empath? And if so, the treatment is so entirely different, you see. And so that's what I'm, I'm trying to do is to offer people who are empathic the real answers to what you're, you're dealing with here. Because if an empath says, I need to be alone, you know, half the time, I'm not going to say, no, you need socialization. You need to go out there and be with people, force yourself. I'm going to say, learn to meditate. Now, use that alone time to connect to nature or be with your animals. Connect to your heart so you can center yourself when you have these anxiety attacks. You see, so I use an empath's strengths and gifts. Empaths have a very strong inner world. And so if you trust that, or if I trust that as a therapist, I can help my patients develop their inner worlds instead of saying, no, you need to be more outer-oriented. I mean, one time I had an empath patient, and she just wasn't prepared to interact with other humans. She had 15 dogs, and she lived in this environment with her dogs. Yes, some psychiatrists would say, you know, get her out there. You know, it's not healthy, but she wouldn't do it. So I worked with her and her, with her dogs and her sense the dogs would die, she would grieve, she would have intimacy issues. In, in any case, it was just one way I worked with someone within the context of their own reality so that she could grow more centered and secure and safe within herself. You see, it's a very different perspective than you need to fit into this box, you need to go to parties, you need to socialize, you need to X, Y, and Z, you know, or drive on the freeways. That's another thing with, with empaths. I haven't driven on the freeways for years. I cannot tolerate it. It is so overwhelming for me in Los Angeles to be with cars whizzing by with a million lanes. I feel like I'm going to leave my body. I just can't do it. So I accepted that years ago, and I take side streets. <laughs> so, and in the woman with the dogs, um, so when you worked with her within what she could tolerate, uh, then she became a better, better adjusted person in the world or what? What was the ultimate, uh, or not ultimate, but where, where, where did that go? She grew emotionally. 
she grew and she became more integrated emotionally and was more able to feel whole when she went out in the world. But she had to go through these growth and learning experiences with those she loved, the beings that she loved, um, in order for her to grow. And traditional psychiatry would say, that's crazy. She needs to get out with people. Right. But it really wasn't going to work with her. She would have left therapy if I had done that. Yeah. So I work with where they are. That was an extreme case. But empaths are often agoraphobic, and they could become recluses as well because the world just gets too stimulating for them. And they haven't learned how to learn breathing techniques or shielding techniques or honoring your alone time or being able to go in the bathroom when you're feeling overwhelmed at work. There's a chapter on empaths at work. What do you do when you're overwhelmed at work? I mean, the bathroom is an amazing <laughs> place to go. I've used it for years to get out or I'm going to party and I'm feeling overstimulated. So the key, though, is compassion. Now, I'm an empath, and I wouldn't give it up for the world, and it helps me as a psychiatrist with my patients to have more compassion, to see more deeply into people. I love to go deep. It's my pleasure to go deep in this lifetime, and that's how I want to be. And so it helps me in so many ways, but I've had to learn how to take care of myself, time management, Meditation is my primary spiritual practice, so I meditate a lot. I gravitate yeah. towards my altar a lot, which living with someone now, I'm living with a, my partner, and it's a little hard for him because I'm so gravitating towards my altar all the time and closing the door. So it takes a lot of creative conversation when I'm an empath in a relationship and I have all these inner practices which take up a lot of time. I'd like to talk about that in a minute, but before I do, I want to ask you about the particular challenges of an empath. Um, And you mentioned one of them, like the addiction. Yes, is is one and and then I also want to talk about um, the energy vampires and how to protect ourselves from right. that. So those those two, right? Yes, empaths and highly sensitive people are prone to addiction because the high sensory input of the world um, overwhelms them, and they go on sensory overload. And when an empath goes on sensory overload, it's all over because they can't function. They can't process correctly. And sometimes when I go on sensory overload to that degree, I just need to get into a room, close the door, pull down the shades, keep people out, and just get very quiet and go into the hibernating state to recalibrate myself internally so that everything can quiet down. And so what happens is when empaths don't know how to do that by themselves, they might turn to pills, drugs, alcohol, overeating. The turn of the century faith healers were typically extremely obese women because they felt that in order to work with patients with a lot of pain, they needed a lot of fat to buffer it. And it is true that fat buffers pain, you see, but that's not the only coping mechanism, and it's not healthy for them to be chronically obese. And so there are other options that I discuss other than overeating to be able to stay centered, clear, and not take on whatever pain your patients are experiencing. So let's talk about a couple of those. At least give it, give us a, a little thumbnail of some some of the strategies that we might do to cope rather than go into an addiction. 
Well, number one, you have to realize that you are an empathic eater. Let's say we're talking about food, that you eat empathically because you get overwhelmed by stress and negativity. And you, it's more than emotional eating. It's energetic eating, mm-hmm. where you energetically feel overwhelmed and you rush to the refrigerator and your only solace will be filling up with food. And this is one of the reasons why... Dieting alone yeah. won't work. No, it won't because work you're for not dealing with the systemic need. Right, it's an energetic phenomena, basically on the very bottom line level. Overeating is an energetic phenomena for empaths, mm-hmm. not for non-empaths, right. but for empaths. Right, and so it's important when I work with my empath patients who are overeating. To really slow down the dynamic, what happens when I'm around a narcissist who's an energy vampire, and this person is charming me and reeling me in and then cuts me off and is cold, withholding, and punishing when I express my needs, then why do I rush to the refrigerator? So now the narcissist, at first they're charming and you're attracted, Yeah, and then they kind of turn that off after a while and and suddenly they become this other person so oh exactly yeah. exactly but that's a particular type of energy vampire that empaths are very attracted to. Unfortunately, I work with so many empaths who are in toxic relationships with narcissists and can't get out. You know, it takes them 25 years, I work with people, or to actually get out, to have the, the courage to get out. But narcissists are attracted to empaths because of their giving, loving hearts and their sensitivities. And empaths are attracted to narcissists because they seem so understanding and seem so present. And they get reeled in by the promise of the facade. And then when they see the real person, they're so in love with them, they can't leave. And so now now you're connecting that with a certain addiction of food, overeating. That's, yes, yes, exactly. That That's just one stimulus. Yes. Where you go right to the refrigerator because you're so overwhelmed with emotion from an energy vampire that you go right to the refrigerator. So what I would suggest is having a meditation pillow right in front of the refrigerator. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's a visual cue. It stops you. It confuses your addictive line of thought that just wants to go for that refrigerator and and stuff food in your mouth. So you could sit there, meditate, center yourself, connect to spirit, because part of recovering from any addiction is connecting to spirit and a force larger than yourself that could help you beyond the obsessive, addictive thinking. And I don't know if you know this, Justine, but I've been in 12-step programs for 28 years. So I've worked a lot with, you know, why I was drawn to drugs and alcohol as an empath um, and working with my spiritual path to fulfill and sustain me. I know that you have uh, many meditations in your book. Yeah. And, and one of them, and you mentioned it just briefly, was the heart meditation. And it's just very, like, as you say, even if you're in a work situation that you can't get away from all right. the chaos, you can go to the restroom and you can do this heart meditation. Can you describe that meditation for us? Yes, the heart meditation is one of my basic spiritual practices, and I teach it to all my empath patients, all my patients. And what it is, is that when you're feeling stressed out, or when you're in an environment where you just feel like you can't handle it, you just take a mini break, three minutes in a bathroom, on a park bench, and a piece of grass, anything. You close your eyes, you begin to breathe, and connecting to yourself is so key to come back to yourself. And you connect to your heart, which is the center for loving kindness. 
and you can picture the heart chakra in the middle of the chest. And you can even have an image of some heart-centered activity or the ocean or a flower or the forest and focus on that and the energy of the heart, which is a warmth in the middle of the chest. And you can put your hand over your heart in the middle of your chest while you're focusing on this image. And you breathe to exhale the overwhelm and to inhale the heart healing energy. So it's a way of recalibrating your system by consciously, intentionally igniting the heart energy with just the source of all healing. And so what this does is calms you down very quickly. And you need to learn how to do that. It's quite an important skill you know, in life, and empaths especially. And when empaths who have anxiety disorders come into my office, I lay them down on the couch and I put my hand over their heart chakra so they can experience what that is. And then they can learn how to do it for themselves. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff. She's a psychiatrist and the author of The Empath Survival Guide. Life Strategies for Sensitive People. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff, and she's the author of The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. Judith, one suggestion that you had in your book that I thought was very, very helpful, and you suggest that we take an inventory for the people in our lives, those who give us energy and those who deplete our energy, to really kind of look at our work situation or our friends or our family and really know who is doing what. And yep. to have, can you describe that a bit? That's so important for empaths in particular to take an inventory and really list the ones that give you energy and list the ones that sap you. Um, of course, there's always a mixture, things could change, but just basically, who drains your energy? Who do you feel tired around? Who are the energy vampires in your life? And who are the ones who feed you and you get more energy around them and there's more of a collaboration and a heart-centered agreement on how to be with one another, you know, rather, let's say, than an anger addict who dumps on you and rather than venting, as I talk about the difference between dumping and venting, which is key, and know who these people are, as then you can know how to deal with them. And then you have to identify the types of energy vampires. Are you dealing with an anger addict? Are you dealing with a drama queen? Are you dealing with a narcissist, the most dangerous of energy vampires? You know, one of the vampires that is more subtle, but it's the one for me that really drains me, and this is the victim 
vampire. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, a big one. You, you, don't, you don't think about this as being an energy vampire. So can you describe the victim vampire? Yes, it's a victim mentality. And I think everybody can slip into it. I don't want to frame energy vampires as them versus us because we all have the capacity to get into these states. The difference is energy vampires do it unconsciously and keep repeating it, which is a problem. But the victim is somebody who gets into poor me where they feel the world is against them, nothing is their responsibility, they're not accountable for anything, my boss doesn't understand me, my boyfriend kicked me out for the 10th time, my mother doesn't appreciate what a good person I am, yada, yada, yada. So it can really go on a long time. So with victims, it's important to set limits and boundaries with them, and I suggest using the three-minute phone call, which is just give them three minutes and let them know. I could listen, if you want to go in circles again, I could listen for three minutes, and after that, I'm going to say goodbye. But if you want to get into solutions, that's another story. Uh, So you have to set boundaries with the victim. Otherwise, you'll be on the phone with them two hours every night talking about exactly the same thing. Another one that I love uh, is the nonstop talker. Right, that's the one that gets me. <laughs> oh, when I get trapped by these people, it's like hell and torture for me. Yes. Um, except I've learned how to interrupt. How how do you do that then? I say, excuse me, I really appreciate what you're saying, but I have to go. You know, or I, I, I get out of it. I used to just stand there and listen. And I would feel so tired and so sick as an empath, my energy would just bottom out. But because I was trying to be polite, I was trying to be sensitive, um, I sacrificed my own well-being. So chronic talkers, you know, must be stopped. Someone was about to start up the other day with me, and I said, look, I don't have time for the long story, but this is what's, you know, who's going to be here to help you? So I just cut him off, but I said it really nice and matter of fact. So you've learned some skillful means in how to kind of gracefully, sometimes gracefully exit from that. Oh, yes. I I exit. I'll leave a a lunch or I'll leave a, a meeting you know, if, if I don't have to stay there, if it's going on and on, it just is too much of a sacrifice for me. It is really toxic for me to hear people constantly talking. The words are medicine, and I'm very sensitive to tone and words and how they're spoken. And when somebody just lambasts you with words, it's like being shot with a machine gun or something to me. Energetically, those words right. are bullets that go into me and sap me. So that's very common with empaths. And by the way, empaths don't like small talk either. And I've never been able to do small talk. And I always kind of felt there was something wrong with me until I just surrendered that notion. I just don't like it. I don't do it. If I go out, I'll ask my friends who are more verbal to to talk to to people with small talk rather than, than me. I just can't engage in it. It feels like an obligation that's just draining to me. Um... However, if I connect to somebody, it's different. You know, I learned a a technique uh, to in that small talk Uh sort uh of thing. So I call it the stand-up cocktail party. Although I'm not (laughs) doing cocktail parties anymore, but you're with a whole group of people, and it's buffet and potluck or whatever, and so you're meeting different people. And to one of the opening that I find interesting. The, as a topic is to say, you know, what's your favorite movie? What have you seen lately? Mm-hmm. And that like 
puts them into, they're not going to tell their old story. Right, they, right. It, they're, it, that kind of like opens a new topic. And who doesn't like to talk about a good movie they've just seen? And uh-huh. that tells you so much about the person that'll start some sort of conversation. I just, it's a good kind of a, I'm not in that situation very often, but yeah, but yeah. it's it's kind of a way of, circumventing some of that blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So tell me, uh, we going back to your own relationship, it's been a long time for you. I know that you, you mentioned in the book that, did did I remember that, that you had a lot of relationships, maybe narciss- maybe narcissists in your relationship, and, and you you wanted to really circumvent this pattern. And you actually went to a tantric workshop, and you found that very helpful. I I thought that was interesting. Do, is that right? Yes. I, no, I, I did. Um, there's a chapter on empaths in love, and I would always choose unavailable men, as many empaths do, because with unavailable people, you're not stressed with the intimacy and feeling suffocated and how to learn how to set boundaries and all the muscles an empath needs to develop in relationships. So my pattern was attracting unavailable men and then bemoaning, why doesn't he call? Why doesn't he reach out to me? And I had been in therapy for many years and I just got involved with another one and I was in a horrible pain and I was just so sure therapy doesn't work. I'm not going to sit and talk about this anymore. And I wanted a more body-centered approach. And so I started working with a tantric teacher um, to learn on a body level, why was I attracting this? What was going on with me? And so the tantra was very, which is a loving sexual slash sensual spiritual approach towards understanding the body and feeling the body's messages in order to remove blocks. And so how did that help you then to have more intimate relationships? Um, Well, my tantric teacher turned out to be my current partner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how synchronistic. (laughs) (laughs) We've been together nearly four years. And you know, he has an unusual understanding of me and desire to be of service to me and my feminine. And I can talk to him about all my empath uh, issues. And he's able to hear, for the most part, what's going on with them and honor it. Because I'm afraid to speak my needs. I'll please somebody else at the expense of speaking my own empathic needs. Where, you know, now I'm able to say I need to sleep alone tonight. And he doesn't like sleeping alone. He prefers sleeping with me. But I need to have my alone time so desperately and is so important for me. And the alone time includes dream time and includes sleep time, no interruptions of, you know, with movement or whatever, just so I can surrender to that inner space. And we're having ongoing creative dialogue as an empath and with a non-empath. He's not an empath, so he does not perceive things in the way I do. Um, but it's the ongoing journey of the empath who wants to be in a relationship uh, on having these creative conversations on how to make it work. It's really a new pathway. New. And I think you bring up a very interesting point, and I'm, I, I think that it's true that when you're sleeping with someone else, and you're, uh, like for me, I'm a particularly uh, vivid dreamer. Yeah. 
And I, if I'm sleeping alone, my dreams are different than when yeah. I'm sleeping with someone else. There's something right. energetically that happens. Do well, you, what happens when you sleep with someone in the same bed is that your energy fields overlap all night long. And so that does alter your dream time state. And so that's why as a dreamer, I've been a dreamer since I've been a little girl. It's my main uh, connection to intuition is through dreams, is that I need to have that dream time without any interruptions. And so I, as an empath, and I talk about this in the book, how do you balance this intense need for dream time and alone time and this intense need for love and companionship? Now, it's almost like they seem that they are opposite of one another, where I've wanted to be alone all my life and I've wanted to be in love all my life. So what do you do with that? That's that's the path I'm on. And, and I have a lot of solutions so far. I've made a lot of good progress, I want to report. And for those empaths in a relationship, I talk about the solutions I've discovered and ones I think really work so that empaths can be in a relationship with with yeah, a I person. Know we, we don't have time to, for you to go into all of them, but can you just mention maybe one or two that have worked for you? Yes. Speaking honestly about your needs, um, taking your alone time when you need it, going out into nature, being honest about your feelings with someone so you're not always trying to please them. If you feel on the verge of suffocation, um, to be able to attend to that right away rather than bolting, which is what I used to do. It was just bolt because it got too intense. Um, and time management for yourself. So being transparent in some way. Yeah, you have to be. And that's yeah. hard because the risk was I was afraid always I was, quote, too intense for a man, you know, that I would burn them out. Somehow. Well, you were told that as a kid that, right, you know, right. just calm down, you're too sensitive and things like that. Right. Right, right. And, you know, I've always had my own path in terms of my creative path and my inner work. And the, the problem is when I'm writing my books, I'm an empath alone in my own playground and I'm totally comfortable with it. I'm yearning for a partnership. Yes. So in my lifetime here and now, I want to integrate these two. And that's part of my spiritual journey at the moment. I know that one of the techniques that you talk about, too, is something called earthing. Yes. And and that's important. I think for all of us, empaths or sensitive people or just the rest of us, uh, it's really important. Can you say what earthing is? Yes, earthing is a technique where you, you touch the earth with your bare feet or your body and you get very, very close to the earth and you share the electrons with the earth. You share your body with the earth and the earth shares its wealth with you and you connect. It's like connecting to the great mother. And what this does is that this grounds you. It, it does. It grounds you. It's, it's very, very, very grounding. And yeah. empaths need to be grounded because they just, you know, go way out of their bodies and get anxious. Right. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff. She's a psychiatrist. She's the author of The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, drjudithorloff.com. And that's spelled D-R-Judith-Orloff-O-R-L-O-F-F.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. She is a free empath support newsletter. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Judith Orloff. She's a psychiatrist and the author of The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And I would love to talk about um, where we are right now. Uh, It's 2017, and it seems I know that you are looking forward to a compassion revolution. You say, through our sensitivity, we can create a compassion revolution and save the world. So I'd love for you to say something about that. Yes, at this point in history, I believe that the single most important quality is empathy. And that through empathy, understanding others, even if we don't agree with them, um, even if we think they're so wrong, trying to put yourself in other people's shoes and then trying from there to find a a compromise or at least a way to be harmoniously with somebody um, is key, you know, rather than judging them. And I love this quote that I included in the book, it's by environmentalist David Orr, where he says, the planet does not need more, quote, successful people. The planet desperately needs more peacemakers, healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of all kinds. It needs people to live well in their places. It needs people with moral courage willing to join the struggle to make the world habitable and humane. And these qualities have little to do with success as our culture defines it. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And it's so, so true. Is- we don't need another CEO making tons of money. We need you in your healing work. We need you empaths. We need you sensitive people to love each other more, to be nurturers, to be creative and storytellers. We need to ignite the sensitivity on this earth and our love of the earth. And that that is what success means at this point. It doesn't mean getting a degree, making a million dollars and going working for some law firm, you know, unless, of course, it's your destiny and you feel, you know, it's to be of service, you must do that. But it means following your heart to your deepest depths of sensitivity and creativity. And that might not fit in, you know, the old version of what success means. And so sensitivity is something to embrace And empaths are pivotal to manifesting the shift. An empath can't afford to shut off his or her feelings anymore and numb themselves with drugs, alcohol, food, sex, relationships, or be a recluse somewhere just terrified of the world. I invite all the empaths to come out of hiding, to begin to deal with your sensitivities. Come out of the closet. Stop hiding. (laughs) Stop being shamed. Now, be proud of your sensitivities and gain a community of support. So that these are the people that will save the world, the beauty of the heart, the beauty of sensitivity. Now, you just said, and join a community. That was like a key, I know, for you. So say something about uh, the importance of communities. It's so important, particularly at this time in history, to have other like-minded people who can support you when you begin to lose hope, when you begin to get dark or anxious or depressed or whatever else we all feel at times. To have your community, either of other empaths, I talk about how to form an empath support group in your city, which I think is so important, or like-minded organizations like New Dimensions Radio, you know, to be able to have a community and know that you're not alone. You know, empaths get into trouble because they feel that they're weird, not alone, neurotic, and with some mental disorder, 
which is so not true. Now, your sensitivities are a gift. You just have to learn how to manage them and be compassionate with yourself and be open to how you can be of service with them in the world, either to the FedEx guy, you know, your smaller community, your larger community, or if you're called in a greater world sense. It's all important. It's all light-bearing. So you're saying every interaction makes a difference. Yes, so it's and so it's paying attention. Nobody else is watching. It's not that we're performing right, for anybody right. else. It's like we are beholden to make every interaction one of of light. Exactly. You are beholden to the light. And you are the maidens and the channels of the light. And so when you can help anyone through love, you ignite that spark of light and love. And that just goes everywhere. You have no idea how small acts of kindness or sensitivity or just even saying, I love your sensitivity. I embrace it. I embrace who you are. I don't want you to change. I don't want you to toughen up. I love you just as you are, you beautiful empath. And when you have that kind of love around you, you feel stronger in yourself in order to come out. And that's what I'm suggesting that empaths and sensitive people need to do is to come out, but in a net of safety. Now, in that net of safety, that's important. And I know that you have a wonderful meditation and uh, strategy, which is um, to, to shield yourself. Because it's important. I mean, if you're out in the world, there are a lot of things flying around that are darker, that are energy zaps, and that are negative. So to come out, what can we do to shield ourselves so that we can be that loving light, compassion? Yes, well, you can visualize simply a shield of white light or pink light about five inches from the body to protect you. And it allows positive energy in, but not the toxicity of the world. But there's another technique that my friend, shaman Sandra Ingerman, gave me when I was going through a really hard time with that unavailable man, and he kept appearing in my dreams when I was trying to let go of him. She gave me this beautiful jaguar, and she said, use the jaguar to patrol your dream space, and you're aware you're open every day, awake space too. And that jaguar knows exactly what to do. And you attune to that jaguar and let the jaguar protect you. And I so resonated with that, that I can feel that jaguar at the time protecting my dream time. So I didn't keep having dreams of this unavailable man show up in all kinds of situations that I didn't want to keep dreaming about him. So a protection technique if you're out in the world, you can call on your power animal, your jaguar, which is mine. Yours could be anything you choose. But, you know, you use your spirit animal to go out there in the world. You're not alone. There are other forces around. I mean, I talk about animal empaths and connecting to animals and earth empaths connecting to the earth. There are forces beyond which the intellect doesn't understand. And because empaths are so sensitive, they can feel them and tune into them, even your higher power. I find the jaguar very important in, when I'm out in the world you know, to protect me from those negative energies. So in the, uh, I'm thinking the one for me, and I have this on my, on my desktop, it's the picture on my desktop. I found this incredible picture of a, a female cheetah. Yeah. And she's on this little mound, and just the blue sky is behind her, and she's silhouetted 
but her head is turned towards the camera. Mm. And underneath her are five cubs, five babies that are cuddled underneath her. Mm. And she's looking into the camera with such fierceness. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, man, it just like really opens my heart whenever I turn on my computer and see it and just feel that mother protection and grounded on the earth and protecting all the babies. Yes. Yes. So uh, it's like finding those things when we're going out in the world to help us to, that protects us so that we can live in that soft energy of, of light and love right. and compassion. Right. And to know that you have that fierce jaguar within you, too, because empaths are often very nice people, too nice and sweet and polite. But you need to contact that inner jaguar so that you can be protected and so that you have the courage to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or no, I really can't listen to it anymore because I have to go to cut off that chronic talker, to say no to that narcissist, even though you're madly in love with him, but you know it's not healthy for you. You go. You walk the other way. That takes courage. You know, but empaths have to protect themselves in this way, otherwise pay the consequences. And I believe all experiences are spiritual experiences. Some are just more painful than others. And the narcissist lover is an extremely painful one. I guarantee you that. Like a noble adversary. They are. Everyone is a noble adversary, even the ones that you, you know, just hate the most or whatever. Right, so they're spiritual (laughs) teachers is what you're saying. If you look at it that way, they can be. They can be. I mean, if if you really embrace it that way and say, oh, I'm learning, it's helping me to learn that I need boundaries, yes. that I need to speak my truth, and it's okay for me to do that, and I'm still lovable when I do that. I'm still lovable. And when that, pow- quote, powerful person in the world tells you to get a thicker skin because there's something wrong with you, you can just smile and say, thank you for sharing and keep moving on. No, thank you. Yes. That isn't me. That isn't what I want to do. And I don't care where it's coming from. I want to own my being an empath and my sensitivity and my intuition and my depth of spirit. I want to own who I really am and come out with it at this point in time and enjoy yourself. I want to say being an empath is so much fun. You know, you get to see into things. You get to talk to the flowers. You get to feel the ocean. You get to connect to forces in your meditations that are deeply spiritual. You get to know about the mysteries of life and the extreme joy and bliss that the empath can feel from anything that resonates blissful energy. So you have all that, you know, that I I love being an empath, and that's why I'm so passionate about teaching empaths to manage the more difficult parts so they can enjoy the more positive parts. Oh, Judith, that we could go on and on. I know people can find many, many parenting, work situations, all sorts of things in your book. So I just... invite people to look it up and check it out. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. I've been here with Dr. Judith Orloff. She's a psychiatrist, the author of The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And if you want to know about her free Empath Support newsletter or all of her work, you can go to her website, drjudithorloff.com. And that's dr for doctor. Judith Orloff, O-R-L-O-F-F dot com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3602. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. New Dimensions.